Welcome back to part two of this episode on Pfizer's new monovalent vaccine. Okay, so I went to Pfizer's website, right, to discuss their press release that was Friday, June 23rd, 2023, talking about the new vaccine. Okay, so this is a monovalent COVID-19 vaccine. Pfizer and Biotech, who are working together on this, submit applications to U.S. FDA for the Omicron XBB 1.5 monovalent vaccine. June 23rd. We are now in September and that variant is already almost phased out completely. But in from the Pfizer's website directly, here are the things I found interesting. The Omicron sublineages, so everything coming from Omicron currently accounts for nearly all of COVID cases in the US. Says we're not seeing really basically anything from the original SARS-CoV-2 variants not seeing anything from Delta. Everything is coming from Omicron. And specifically, they say everything is coming from Omicron XBB. This is why they're saying this so that they say your other vaccine's not going to work for you anymore. That's what they're saying. We're already on to a new one and your other coverage doesn't count. Even though we promised it would count, it doesn't count anymore. And it says the companies have, so this is again, just Pfizer, Pfizer and Biotech working together. So we'll just, for the sake of ease, I'll just say Pfizer. Pfizer's manufactured this new vaccine to ensure readiness ahead of the fall and winter season. Okay, so this is like, oh, we see an opportunity here. Now, they skipped a year, though. So you see the first initial vaccines came out at the very end of 2020, but mostly 2021. They didn't want to have a new version for 2022 because everybody would have really caught on that this was going to be an annual thing, right? They gave some space to make it look like everybody did their thing and now we're going back to life. And here, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, nope, now you get it, need to get a new one again. Uh, a lot of this approach, the way they present this stuff, it's all by design. So be you know, cognizant of the way they do things and understand that there is a reason behind it every time. So they were already looking to get a vaccine ready by June, which it already was ready by June, means they'd been working on it for some time at that point. They were already looking at this season as going, okay, this is the time we're going to unveil it. We need to unveil it by September, by fall. So they're requesting this FDA approval in June, which by the way, they have not gotten. They have not gotten, um, but yet somehow they're still in mass production of it. And that seems to be okay for some people. I don't know why, but so their authorized use is only under the emergency use authorization. And that has been only in place since 2020. In their eyes, they don't need to get FDA approval because look, they're selling vaccines just with emergency use, but they need to keep that emergency use in place or which no question they will, they will find a way in order to allow for continuing new versions of it. They'll just keep doing new versions of it without FDA approval. And they don't need to do actual trial, real safety trials to, because they're not looking for FDA approval. They can get this emergency authorization without doing anything, which we're talking about hundreds of millions of doses just in our country alone with no safety data, no human safety data and no actual FDA approval. And they're still saying they're authorizing it for six months and older, six month old babies, which I want to remind you, get the exact same dose that adults get. So here's what they say on Pfizer's own website, important safety information. Tell your vaccination provider about all of your medical conditions 
which do they really ask? Do people really go into this with at CVS? No. And it says, including if you have any allergies, well, that's a big portion of the population, have had myocarditis. Okay, why are they mentioning that? Because we've seen such a severe connection here between um, the vaccines, this, this version and this type of vaccine with myocarditis. It's been estimated it's as frequent as one in 3,000 males because this is more prominent in young males. It also says... Tell your vaccination provider if you have received another COVID-19 vaccine. And then it says the vaccine may not protect everyone. See, it's written here on their website. It may not protect everyone. In fact, it may not protect anyone. But that certainly is not going to get people to go get it. It definitely says you should not get a Pfizer vaccine if you've had a reaction um, to any prior COVID vaccine. It says there's a remote chance it could cause a severe allergic reaction. It says seek medical attention right away if you have any of the following symptoms. This is difficulty breathing, swelling in the face and throat, a fast heartbeat, a rash, dizziness, weakness, etc. Which feels like I've seen a lot of those types of reactions listed uh, in real time as far as what people experienced. But it says that myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, and pericarditis, inflammation of the lining outside the heart, have occurred in some people who have received the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. The observed risk is higher among adolescent males and adult males under 40 years of age, and the observed risk is highest in males 12 through 17. So this is right on their website. They talk about this has been observed in other doses. Listen, a, a big portion of the population includes people under 40 years of age. We know males are about half of the population. And it's very concerning that adolescent males and adult males under 40, which should be, should be the most robust, strong, protected, safe, healthy portion of our entire population. You know, males biologically are designed to protect and keep safe the entire tribe. So if the, the highest level of risk is males under 40, that's a problem. This is the portion of the population set to protect the next generation. This is also the portion of the population that is in childbearing years. 18 to 40, this is like childbearing central right there. I know some people might say that's potentially by design. We don't know. We know that there have been issues with reproductive health in females. And then now you're looking at heart health in the, the subset of the population that would be the most heart healthy somehow is at the most risk with this. But yet, go ahead and go get it and get it every single year. How come like alarm bells and red flags aren't you know going up for everybody with this? So they talk about on the Pfizer site that people with weakened immune systems may have a reduced immune response. Okay. This has always been something that interests me. This idea of immunocompromised people part of the psychological approach to wanting the entire world to get vaccines are to protect the immunocompromised. This has always been part of the dialogue, even with regular childhood vaccines. And it is part of the dialogue with the flu shot and now with this, right? We need to protect little Joey down the street who has an immunocompromised condition. So you're doing your part by quote, protecting the community by you getting the vaccine. Well, one, it doesn't prevent transmission. So eh, that whole theory is out the window. Two, 
my issue with immunocompromised people receiving very aggressive and often toxic biologics and vaccines is that their body is already weakened. They likely already have a problem with methylation, their body removing toxins. So to me, this is a population of people that should not be vaccinated because their body is not going to be able to siphon through things like the aluminum or the preservatives or the adjuvant, the other things that are put in there to make these things work, let alone live virus vaccines that create that immune response by giving you an immune assault. This portion of the population, whether it's the elderly, young babies, and immunocompromised, to me, are the worst candidates to get a vaccine. Granted, they are also ones that can't handle, like I said, these immune assaults, but your, your chances seem higher in doing everything you can to strengthen the immune system than directly injecting something that is generated to create an immune assault. So not only does it seem more risky, Pfizer's telling you directly in their literature that people with weakened immune systems may have a reduced immune response to it anyway, meaning it's, not gonna, it's most likely not going to work for you. And then it goes on to talk about a very long list of, you know, side effects. And typically, as they do with all vaccines, they kind of talk about like really basic ones mixed in there, tiredness, headache. Everybody's like, eh, that's not that big of a deal. What they don't talk about are all the way more serious things. Um, they like to say arm pain. That one kills me, like arm pain. Like, you know, they try to like minimize this so much. Um, irritability is on here. Come on, that's ridiculous. But then they have, you know things that are actually legitimate on here, like myocarditis. And they, they just mix them up with things like tiredness, irritability, feeling unwell. You know, it's like they do that to kind of make it look like, eh, you're probably not going to have that big of a deal. And they don't even include all the things that have been reported uh, in this list. In fact, that leads me perfectly into the next line that says, these may not be all the possible side effects of these vaccines. But how many Americans do you think are going to Pfizer's website looking at the press release of their new vaccine? People expect their doctor to have done this work for them. They expect their doctor to be, if they're advising them to get it, to be the right choice. They're also expecting the pharmacist at the local drugstore to be well-versed on this. And so they're kind of outsourcing their due diligence. But yet the company itself says it directly. These may not be all the side effects. This may not work for everyone. This may not create immune response in the immunocompromised. Lots of side effects have been reported. This does not have FDA approval. I mean, it's telling you all of this. It also says the original Pfizer COVID vaccine is no longer authorized for use in the United States. That would, set, that would make me a little concerned if I was going to get their new product. I'd be like, well, why? What would happen with that? Is there something I should know? Um, there's an interesting section in this press release that, that is a disclosure notice. And this basically talks about what they call forward-looking statements, meaning in this press release suggesting that this vaccine is going to help all these people, that's a forward-looking statement. And in the end, their well-intentioned forward-looking statements might not end up being true. And this is, again, this is a liability coverage thing here. Um, you know, these kind of companies have like the craziest bulldog attorneys working for them. So they're going to make sure that they're covering themselves. And here's some of the stuff that they include in that disclosure notice. 
It says, um, there might be substantial risks and uncertainties that could cause the actual results to differ materially from those expressed by these statements. There may be risks associated with the preclinical and clinical data, including the data discussed in this release. There might be risks associated with any of the studies in pediatrics, adolescents, or adults in real-world evidence, including the possibility of unfavorable new preclinical, clinical, or safety data. They're literally telling you there may be the chance that new data comes out saying that this is not good for you. It's dangerous, risky, and it doesn't work. But they still are saying, go ahead and get it now, September 15th. But down the line, this is what could happen. So there could be risks, including the rate of vaccine effectiveness and safety and tolerability profile observed to date. There could be risks associated with the data, the data that they included in this. There could be a possibility of unfavorable new preclinical, clinical, or safety data. Unfavorable means dangerous, risky. There could be issues with the rate of vaccine effectiveness and safety and tolerability. There could be inaccuracies in the ability for any of these vaccines to prevent COVID-19 caused by emerging virus variants. So what they're telling you here is it's not their fault it didn't work when they find out the variants just switched, but they already know that now. And yet they're still moving forward on making sure that everybody's still getting this outdated version, even though they're saying there is a risk here that any vaccine or future vaccine that's preventing COVID-19 is not going to work because of emerging virus variants. There could be a risk of additional adverse reactions, some of which may be serious. There could be a risk that the preclinical and clinical trial data are subject to differing interpretations and assessments. AK, one person says this looks like this is going to be robust um, protection and somebody else goes, actually, I don't think so. That is all listed within the Pfizer's website and their press release on this new vaccine. They're basically saying, listen, everything we just said may actually not be true, but it's not really our fault. This is how they're looking at it. And again, this is a big risk to take every single year, knowing that there is no real accountability here, no accountability for the effectiveness or the safety. Okay, and finally, I want to talk about Peter McCullough and his September 13th blog post where he talks about the safety, quote, safety data that Pfizer is using to say that this is effective to move forward with this unveiling of the entire vaccine program. Okay, remember that Pfizer is the only one of these three companies that have put out information, and this is the information they are basing this entire thing on which was initially utilized for that June press release that I just uh, mentioned. So the title of this blog post, and, and for those of you who don't know, Peter McCullough is an MD. He has been very outspoken against not just the vaccine, but the damage and toxicity that it's causing to people and to people who are exposed to other people who have had it. So this is what uh, he says the title, this is breaking Pfizer XBB 1.5 monovalent vaccine tested in 20 mice, no control group and no humans. Now we've had a big issue with childhood vaccines where we talk about how there are no placebos in these testings. There are no control groups. And they say that that would be unethical to do that. Well, this is an animal study 
They could easily have created a control group, but they didn't, and there were no humans used in this clinical trial. So um, he said that right now we've got the Pfizer vaccine, as I mentioned before, that has emergency use authorization only. But from the Pfizer slides that were released just September 13th, which was yesterday, there was a single experiment with 10 mice that were given the prior bivalent and 10 that were given the XBB 1.5. So only 10 mice out of the 20 were actually given this new vaccine. They were injected twice, 21 days apart. These were all female mice. And the new booster was authorized for a single 30 MCGs shot in humans. So the reason he's mentioning this is he's mentioning that it's authorized for a single use in humans, but then as it was experimented on, it was injected twice, 21 days apart. Well, that's not what they're doing. They're giving all of it in one dose up front, but that's not even, they haven't even tested for that. And that did not prove that there was any effectiveness in that. And that was not the basis of why they could go to the FDA saying, hey, we want um, emergency use approval for this because this is going to be great for the new fall and, and winter season. In this article, in this blog post, um, Dr. McCullough mentions how now the Eris strain, which is the one I talked about in the last episode, is up to 21.5% of all cases. I think it was 17% at the time I did the podcast. Now it's up to 21%. And then the new strain is FL.1.5.1, which is growing at 14.5%. That's pretty big. I mean, that's as big as Eris was, you know, last week, two weeks ago. So they're suggesting that the antibody response in those 10 mice were greater for this XBB 1.5, obviously with the new version of it that's sort of related to that versus the original one. Yeah, that's obvious. But the problem is there is no information about this new FL.1.5.1 strain, which is already growing maybe to actually supersede the era strain in the next couple of months. And again, this was done on 10 mice. This is not to say what would have happened with a control group and how they would have responded with antibody production. The final thing that Dr. McCullough says in here, um, he says that, you know, this is basically misconduct, scientific misconduct, and the vaccine companies are just hauling in these record profits, but they haven't actually analyzed safety They haven't even shown interest in safer and more effective products because they're not doing these large-scale randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials, which is the standard in medicine. That is the scientific standard. So they're not doing that. And he's saying this should cause public outrage and people should refuse this booster because this is scientific misconduct. The fact that they are not doing placebo, double-blind placebo-controlled trials, in addition to not doing actual studies on humans, and not even doing the amount of dosing that people are going to be getting. Remember, a six-month-old baby will be getting the same dosing as a 40-year-old adult. But we don't have data to show that this is going to be okay. And the way that they've been doing this whole thing the last couple of years is their data is real time. Like, let's just give this to a few hundred million people in the United States and let's see what happens. They do have data on side effects, right? But that's not preventing them from putting out new versions that have not been safety tested, are not FDA approved, and are just getting streamlined from that emergency use. The fact that they can use a 20 animal test where only 10 of them received the new vaccine, and there's no control group because the other 10 just received the old vaccine. So both of them are receiving vaccines. 
the fact that they can use a study with 20 mice to be their foundation for why it's okay for them and two other manufacturers to create a new version of a vaccine that everybody needs to take for the whole year, for this particular year, is is a little bit crazy when you think about it. I mean, people were in 2020 saying, hey, this new vaccine coming out for COVID hasn't really been tested, but they were like, yeah, but this is so serious, we gotta do this. That should have been like a one-time thing. But now what they're doing is like, completely unfounded experimental trials on a yearly basis. Even though there is plenty of evidence that we've got a lot of side effects happening from these vaccines. I would venture to say even more than the flu shot, which is the highest number of vaccine adverse events reported to the vaccine adverse events reporting system. I was looking for the study on the mice earlier when I was uh, doing this research earlier this week and I couldn't find it anywhere. Pfizer does not link to this study. So Dr. McCullough got his hands on this study, and he's breaking down the specifics of this. I mean, it's pretty shocking when you think about it. 20 mice, no control group, no humans. Let's go ahead and give, you know, 200 to 250 million doses to Americans and see what happens. Best case scenario, it just doesn't work. But the worst case scenario is not only does it not work, it causes moderate to severe health effects in all of the people. And this is a big portion of people that they're marketing this to every American over six months of age. So this is really risky. And this is something people should be kind of up in arms about. I mean, granted, I'm not going to my CVS to get it. I'm not going to a doctor to get it because that's my particular stance is I'm not willing to accept that level of risk, let alone for something that doesn't work. But people who are considering this or who are being uh, advised to get this by their family or their doctors or whatever, they should really be up in arms about this and they should be asking for the proof. Show me the proof that this works. Show me the proof that this is safe. And it's not even targeting the right variant as we talked about last episode in this one. So a couple more episodes on this topic just because this is timely right now and it's um, there's a lot going on with this. So tune in to the next episodes on this as well. And I will talk to you all soon. Hope you're doing well.